0: How close do you think we are to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And who said he would come back anyway? Well, he did. (laughs) That's simple. I want to show you some things you may never have heard of or seen before in the book of Daniel and also Isaiah and Revelation. We're going to tie this all together and find what God has in mind and what his time schedule looks like a little bit more closely. This is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Let's turn to Isaiah 24, Daniel 7, Joel 2, and Revelation. So let's go on to Isaiah 24, starting in verse 23 so here we go then the glory of the moon will wane and the brightness of the sun will fade for the lord of heaven's armies will rule on mount zion he will rule in great glory in jerusalem in the sight of all the leaders of his people he's making a prediction that Jesus will come back and reign and rule from Jerusalem. Now let's go a handful of pages all the way to the 7th chapter of Daniel. Let's start in verse 13. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man, which would be Jesus, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One, that would be God the Father, and was led into His presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey Him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Verse 18. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom, and they will rule forever and ever. In verse 21, Daniel 7, it reads like this. As I watched, this horn was waging war against God's holy people, and was defeating them until the ancient one, the most high, came and judged in favor of his holy people. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Then he said to me, This fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth it will be different from all the others it will be or it will devour the whole world trampling and crushing everything in its path the ten horns that you saw in other words are ten kings who will rule that empire then another king will arise different from the other ten who will subdue three of them he will defy the Most High and oppress the holy people of the Most High. He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years is what most people think about there. But then the court will pass judgment and all his power will, will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey Him." Now let's go to Matthew 24. And we'll start in verse 30. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Unquote. I'm going to read to you a mystery that we find in verse 35 Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Unquote. What do you think that means? Could it be possible that God would abandon all his investment in time, in energy, in creative prowess of building a universe full of stars and planets and galaxies (laughs) to the tune of multiple billions of them? No, it is not possible, at least not in my estimation. So what is he talking about? Why would the heaven and earth disappear? But his words would not. In order for his words not to disappear, they have to be written and in the minds of people who are reading those words that were written by others for them. So where would the books be stored? They've got to have a space a place like earth that will house them and house the people so what's my take on this why would the heaven and earth disappear let's say you're sitting on the moon looking toward the beautiful earth what would block your view of the earth And if you're sitting on Earth looking at the moon, what would block your view of the heavens and the moon and everything that's out there in space? Well, imagine a cloud layer hovering around the whole Earth, one that grows darker every single day. Is that what's coming, you think? Well, I think maybe it is, because look at verse 29 in Matthew 24. Immediately, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will give no light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear, as we just read. But what's going to darken those skies? The skies that would block the sunlight, and it would be darkened, and the moon would give no light at all. Well, That's why verse 35 says heaven and earth will disappear. It will be blocked from view. It's not that it's going to evaporate into thin air. Let me tell you, God's not wasteful. He's not going to waste his whole universe. No, it's just that's kind of silly, really. But no, it will be blocked from view. Now, To get a little more of a grasp on this, let's go to Ezekiel. I hadn't wanted uh, to go there, planned to go there, but let's go there real quick. 32 and verse 7. This time he's talking to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and uh, he's pronouncing what he's going to do to him. So let's start in verse 6. I will drench the earth with your gushing blood all the way to the mountains, filling the ravines to the brim. When I blot you out, verse 7, I will veil the heavens and darken the stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon will not give you its light. I will darken the bright stars overhead and cover your land in darkness. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Unquote. Well, what sort of a cloud would we expect it to take before that would happen? Let's turn to the 34th chapter of Isaiah. And I've read this many, many times on the air, and I still come up with the same conclusion. But I want to start in verse 1 just to show you the uh, spectrum, the broad sweep of this whole thing. Come here and listen, O nations of the earth. Let the world and everything in it hear my words. For the Lord is enraged against the nations. Would that be all of them? Uh, Well, I'd say most of them. His fury is against all their armies. He will completely destroy them, dooming them to slaughter. The dead will be left unburied, and the stench of rotting bodies will fill the land. But there is good news to come, so hang with me. The mountains will flow with their blood. The heavens above will melt away. Catch that? And disappear like a rolled up scroll. The stars will fall from the sky like withered leaves from a grapevine or shriveled figs from a fig tree. And when my sword has finished its work in the heavens, it will fall on Edom. Where's Edom today? Well, it's in the Middle East. The nation I have marked for destruction. The sword of the Lord is drenched with blood and covered with fat. The fat of lambs and goats, the fat of rams prepared for sacrifice. Well, these, I believe he is talking about generals and um, heads of state. Yes, the Lord will offer a sacrifice in the city of Basra. Now there is a Basra in Iraq, and I think there's another Basra in Kuwait someplace. I'm not sure. He will make a mighty slaughter in Edom. Even men as strong as wild oxen will die. The young men alongside the veterans The land will be soaked with blood and the soil enriched with fat. Why? For it is the day of the Lord's revenge, the year when Edom will be paid back for all it did to Israel. The streams of Edom, verse 9, chapter 34, Isaiah, will be filled with burning pitch and the ground will be covered with fire. This judgment on Edom will never end. The smoke of its burning will rise forever, and the land will lie deserted from generation to generation. No one will live there anymore." So from this we can easily see what is burning, burning pitch. What's pitch? It's asphalt. Asphalt is oil that has lost or evaporated away its hydrogen element. So there's nothing left but methyl carbon. Oil, oil that's turned thick and no longer watery. It's just a mass of gel more or less. In Mark 13, we'll see some other stuff that will shed some light on this, I hope. Mark 13, starting in verse 19. For there will be greater anguish in those days, and this is the words of Christ Jesus. For there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. And, in, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the elect's sake, the that is, his chosen ones, he has shortened the days. Then in verse 26, we'll drop down there, then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world from the farthest ends of earth and heaven. This reminds me of Revelation 1, starting in verse 4. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace be to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead, and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. In other words, in our stead. He has made us a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look. He comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. Now, how's that going to happen? Well, by resurrecting those people. God knows the timing for each person. He can, all, he can bring all of us up at once. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the One who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. In Revelation 19, let's take a look at verse 6 through 9. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the, mighty, uh, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. Now you and I, hopefully, are that bride. She has uh, been given the finest pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words that come from God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters, who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship God only, for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus, Well, let's read on down uh, through a few more verses. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns, A name was given, uh, written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the Word of God. And you, you can find that in John 1, verse 1 as well. But this is Revelation 19. We'll go back to verse 14. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, which, remember, um, shows the righteousness of the saints, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp uh, sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress on his robe at his thigh was written this title king of all kings and lord of all lords then i saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky come gather together for the great banquet of uh, uh, god has prepared come and eat the flesh of kings generals and strong warriors." of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, great and small. If you drop down to chapter 21 of Revelation, we read these words, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and old earth had disappeared. Remember, we, we just saw that the earth would disappear if it was covered with a cloud cover, Let's say we had a nuclear war in the Middle East and many craters were opened with a nuclear weapon, which by the way, a hydrogen bomb requires the power of an atomic bomb just to make ignition on this thing. If hydrogen bombs are used, they can have a killing radius, a crater, if you would, that's more than three and a half to f- 350 miles across. That's enormous. That's enormous. Now, I don't know how they calculate that. That's just a stat I got off the internet, honestly. So, but a hydrogen bomb will go very deep as well that crater is not only going to be wide. Let's say we we take the minimum figure of three and a half miles. How deep do you think it would go? Let's say, oh, I don't know, maybe 100 feet. It probably is going to be deeper than that. Well, how far down is the oil in the Middle East? Well, do you know that in some areas of central Iraq, the oil is already burbling up from the ground, out of the ground, and forming pools. It's exposed to the air right now, today, without being bombed open. It's less than 25 feet down in many areas in Iraq. It's under pressure If the sand gets blown away with a nuclear blast, it will expose a huge lake of oil every single time a bomb goes off above it. And guess what? It will set that oil on fire in a flash. And then we've got these great billows of smoke. If you added up all of the billows... It would count in the hundreds, more than likely. And if that's the case, that's what's going to cause the whole earth to grow dark, as Jesus predicted in Matthew 24, and Isaiah 34, and all over the Bible. You want another example? Let's go to Joel 2 for a second. It's right after the book of Hosea, Joel... Joel 2, Uh, let's see, let's start in verse 1. Sound the alarm in Jerusalem. Raise the battle cry on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear. In other words, run, panic. Now's the time to hit that panic button. Let everyone tremble in fear. Why? Because it is the day of the Lord and it's upon us. It is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. Oil smoke, maybe? Yep. Suddenly, like dawn, spreading across the mountains, a great army appears. Nothing like it has been seen before, and nothing will ever be seen like that again. Fire burns in front of them, Flames follow after them. They're running to get away from the fires that they themselves just made. Ahead of them the land lies as beautiful as the Garden of Eden, but behind them nothing is left but desolation. Not one thing escapes. Dropping down to verse 10. The earth quakes as they advance. And the heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark. There you are again. And the stars no longer shine. The Lord is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout. His army, his mighty army, um, this is his mighty army, and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? So what does God say for us to do about it? Verse 12, that is why the Lord says, Turn to me now, while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief, but rend your hearts instead. Turn to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you will be able to offer grain and wine as, as a, an offering to the Lord your God as before. Blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn assembly or meeting. Gather all the people, the elders, the children, and even the babies, and call the bridegroom from his quarters. Jesus is the bridegroom, and the bride from her private room. At least in in many places, that's the reference. Let the priests who minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry room to the temple and the altar. Let them pray. Spare your people, Lord. Don't let your special possession become an object of mockery. Don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, Has the God of Israel left them? Then the Lord will pity his people and jealously guard the honor of his land. The Lord will reply, Look, I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil, enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into parched wastelands. Dropping down to uh, verse 22. Don't be afraid, you animals of the field, for the wilderness pastures will soon be green. The trees will again be filled with fruit. Fig trees and grapevines will be loaded down once more. Rejoice, you people of Jerusalem. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for the rain he sends demonstrates his faithfulness. Once more, the autumn rains will come as well as the rains of spring. The threshing floors will again be piled high with grain and the presses overflow with new wine and olive oil. Dropping down to verse 28, Then after doing all these things, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy Your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike. You can drop down to Joel 2, verse 30 and 31, and also chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, for more about the moon and the sun growing dark. But my time is up. You can also go to Mark 13 and Luke 21 and read, just like Matthew 24. Very, very similar. Well, this is Albert Hardy for Bible Prophecy Radio. Hang in there, look up, watch for Jesus' return, and be ready. Purify yourself. And how do you do that? By repenting of your sins and asking God to forgive you. I have to do that too. I'm no better than you are. So I'll catch you next time. I hope you have a great day. Until then, you can go to my website, itellwhy.com. I don't have anything for sale. I'm not trying to get anything from you. But my email address is there. It's jesusiswhy at gmail.com. You can shoot me an email. Give me some reaction, some feedback if you would for this podcast. Until next time, have a great day. Thanks for tuning in.